this is Sally. And Sally still has not learned that when you're podcasting, you're talking into a microphone and you don't have to yell. <laughs> he will eventually, I promise everyone. I really do, hopefully. Anyway, all right, so we're back, and these episodes will or at least should be more consistent from now on because I have internets and Tom has internets and... And you were you were moving last week, so it was kind of hard to do a podcast. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to like get Wi-Fi in your car, and it'd be weird. That'd be awesome if you made your car a wireless hotspot. I'm gonna stop. I could go totally like nerd nerd power right there. Anyway, um, this is about magic, right? That's what we're talking about. Hell cool. yeah, it's about magic. Okay, so the first the things we're gonna talk about on this episode are pimping out your EDH decks, like pros, cons, well, your our opinions of it. We're going to talk about my next article um, for 60 cards. I know my I've only written two so far, and they haven't been very consistent, but that's, again, because I've been moving. And then we're going to talk about Tom's new Progenitus deck, Progenitus being the general of the week, specifically because of this deck. So first we'll start with pimping out your EDH decks, and I know this was Tom's initial idea to talk about, so I'll let Tom have the talking stick. So... Pipping out your EDH deck has actually been something that's been in the community for a long time. A lot of people love pimping out their EDH deck. They feel like because of the place you can play like kind of like a casual but competitive but really fun format, they feel, hey, I'm gonna throw in all those awesome foils I've gotten over the year. Like when you got it when you got in a draft and you like got a random foil Baneslayer Angel, I mean, awesome, that's going in my EDH deck. It's just it seems like something fun to do. I've always been a big proponent of it. I think Pimping out your EDH deck is fun. Uh, it's definitely a place where you can put in like ultra dark cards, and you don't have to worry about like people messing with them. I mean, people are very respectful when they play EDH. Usually, depending on your playgroup, it's not like it's Iron Man. Have you ever heard of Iron Man magic? Yes. Have you? No. Okay. Because Sally doesn't know, and I assume most or a lot of other people don't know, Iron Man magic is where it's whenever anything would get sent to the graveyard, right? Mm-hmm. You rip it up. Oh my god. Whenever a card would be sent to the graveyard, you rip it out. You know what's really good in that format? O Stone? Uh Wheel of Sun and Moon. Oh wow. <laughs> or like Leyline of the Void if you don't want your opponent's cards to go to the graveyard for whatever reason. <laughs> but yeah. I remember Papa Bear posted on the MTG cast Twitter about how someone uh Door of Destinied their opponent in in um in Iron Man Magic and then was charged with murder. <laughs> fun, fun. Anyway, so back to pipping out your EDH deck. I think it's a great idea. I mean, it, it's also kind of fun, like, if you're trading, you can just just trade for the foil and, like, have a really good excuse for it. Like, oh, I'm trying to pimp out my EDH deck. I know that Kevin plays with a foil Prodenitus, I play with a foil Thraxiamundar. I mean, it's just more fun to have the foil. I play, I, yeah, I play with a foil Raxiel, so... Yeah. Because that's the only foil one we have. Yeah. Um, my personal opinion of coming at your DHX, I like it theoretically, and I think if I had infinite money, I'd like it more. <laughs> but I don't. And I feel like there's a lot of pitfalls that could come with coming at your DHX. I'd rather personally trade trade a card for like a, a lot of worse condition cards than one like foil, I don't know, near in the moaning well. I'd rather get like a bad or like a, a subpar condition mirror and like a few other rares or what have you because because EDH cards aren't always the like foil bane slayers like you said mm-hmm. I, um I don't know I think I'd rather just have more cards than foil cards and also 
I don't want to be the type of person where like my whole deck is foil. Not that there's any problem with that. It's really cool. But I would like play my deck and then realize this is a lot of money and <laughs> I'd be too tempted to just sell it. I mean, again, it's the college I'm poor mentality, but I, I, I don't know. I remember this wasn't EDH. This was a standard deck, but someone had a pimped out Super Friends deck at the Orlando 5K we went to. And I was playing next to him, and I didn't feel like I could sit next to him without, like, paying him money to look at his cards. <laughs> so, the one exception being Altered Art. Altered Art cards, I think... I mean, it's just because I have a niche, like, love for them. But I think that's the only exception where I, I love a deck just of Altered Art cards. I think that would be so ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, the thing is, like, I'm not telling you to go out there and search out the cards, but if you're just trading with somebody and you see, like, you might already have the card, but if you can just be like, hey, I'll trade you this uh, pernicious deed for your foil pernicious deed plus something that you don't really want, like, I'd, I'd do that trade in a second just because I play EDH and that'd be great. Yeah. Um, I, I agree... I think that I'd rather have more card stock than foil cards, and that's the only problem. There was a long while, Patrick and I are going through our trade stuff right now, where we almost didn't trade any of our cards because we were, air quotes, keeping them for EDH decks, which is a really bad habit to get into. Oh, yeah. We we, we would never trade anything. We have we have a binder now that we don't really know what we're going to do with yet, but it's full of like bulk rares that just make our binder look like garbage. I have no place. Yeah, and they really... We, we built 800,000 EDH decks, and I'm sorry, Reverence doesn't go in any of them, or hasn't yet, but I <laughs> want it to, because it's awesome. Um, yeah, it's just... I don't know. I feel like it's it's a really good idea, and it's fun when you can do it, but I'd personally rather trade for a Pernicious Deed and uh, Pyromancer's Ascension than a Foil Pernicious Deed. But that's just me. More is better. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, with certain cards, it's different. If I could get a four set of foil alternate mere servitors, I I would go for that. Mere, I've, I've come to terms with the fact that mere servitor is definitely my favorite card ever. I'm just saying. Really? Do you, just in case anyone doesn't know, it's a one mana one one from Fifth Dawn, and it's an artifact creature mere. At the beginning of your upkeep, if mere servitor is in play, return all cards named mere servitor from your graveyard to play. I don't know why I like this card so much. I think that when I drafted Fifth Dawn the first time, like, oh, when I drafted MD5 the first time, I got two of them, and I was just so happy. But I really like it. It's just so much fun, and they're so cute. And he's only <laughs> since he was 12. Yeah. <laughs> I lost most of my collection when I first stopped playing, or when I stopped playing. And mm-hmm. four mere servitors that I have, and like some of my Isochron Scepters and Skull Clams, luckily, I held on to. So it makes me really happy. I kind of want to build an EDH deck with like Sculpting Steel, um, uh, Soul Foundry, Mirror Servitor, and then all the cards that aren't good in one as one ofs. What do you mean, like all the cards that aren't good as one ofs? Like Mirror Servitor being one of them, Mishra, just like build a terrible EDH. <laughs> But you think that really would never ever win, but it's strictly there for fun. There's that Land War Sentinel, when you play it, you pay mana and you can search for other ones. Um, you play <laughs> Sun, yeah, Suntail Hawk is gonna go in that thing. You mean Squadron Hawk? Oh yeah, Squadron Hawk, sorry. And Suntail, Suntail Hawk can go in there too though. The one one for one flying. But yeah, sorry, that was a big sidetrack. But, I mean, in terms of pimping at your EDH decks, I know a lot of people do it, and I think if I had infinite expendable income, I would too, but for now... We would also have Power 9 if we had infinite <laughs> expendable income. We'd also have the cure for cancer. Anyway, um, 
I think that's about all. I don't really have much more to say about pimping EDH decks. Well, another uh, really large reason why like, you can see a lot of pimped out EDH decks, and probably part of where it comes from, is that the game was kind of started by like Magic the Gathering judges, and they get judge foils anyways. So Ooh. if you're playing against a judge, they have all their judge foils in their deck. Because so, usually they don't really get a chance to play. So if they're playing EDH, they're playing with usually the best and most fun cards they have, and a lot of those just tend to be judge foils. So yeah. you can expect to see foiled a lot of foil not completely foiled out decks those are really rare especially in EDH because that's a hundred foil cards in a deck and that thing's got to seem like it's 300 cards but and some of, and some of them aren't made in foil like some of the cards people play in EDH aren't foiled like they they, they didn't do foiling back then like foil soul ring I'm 90% sure it won't exist until from the vault relics comes out that's true it definitely won't exist until from the vault there goes your wallet comes out yeah Hey, if you can get that at a MSRP, you're definitely doing the best thing you can. I just one more one thing about Judge Foils. We were playing the other day, and Brian was playing. Um, I don't know what kind of deck it was. It had green in it, and he had Veerden Force out. But he played the Judge Foil Survival of the Fittest, and just seeing that card made me want to scoop in glory. Like, all right, you win. Just I don't know. I I, I like Fauna Shaman a lot. But Survival of the Fittest, especially the Judge Foil one, so awesome. Anyway, sorry, moving on. You know, I'm totally looking that up right now, but... You haven't seen it? You don't know what, do you know what, you know what Survival does, right? Yeah, oh, I know what Survival of the Fittest does. Don't don't you okay. tempt don't my magic it. knowledge. Um, I, It's really hard to explain. But yeah, in case anyone doesn't know what, what Survival of the Fittest does, because I know Sally doesn't, it's the same thing as Fauna Shaman, which is... Um, a green discard creature from your hand, search your deck for a creature and put it into your hand. Now, Fauna Shaman, you have to tap in order to do that, but Survival of the Fittest is nuts. Chapin actually played a deck in Legacy with Survival of the Fittest, and there are some weird, wacky combos with, like, Loyal Retainer and Emrakul, and it's just a... It's it's so good because it lets you get whatever answer you need, especially in EDH, because your deck is kind of automatically a toolbox. It's all one of. And there's Gargantuan. It's hard to find things. Yeah. <laughs> Statistically speaking, survival is really good, but then you get you have to go into that one whole mathematical thing. Well, there's only one survival and anyway. I'm getting really off topic. Tom, are you have you found it yet or are you still Oh Google yeah, it? I found it. It's this weird lady clutching a wolf and a snake and it's just kinda all odd. The the judge foil is just I don't know if the foiling is different, but they all look cool anyway. Oh yeah, it looks cool. They have a nice amount of high-res attachments to it. It looks all pretty and stuff. It's just, the art is kind of weird. I, I, it seems like the art would inspire Fauna Shaman, to be honest. Yeah, I see that. Um, So next we're going to talk about my next article, or brainstorm my next article, mm-hmm. to be completely honest. Um, the, Before I say anything, I know the last article I did was an EDH primer. I'm trying not to do just three EDH primers in a row. I don't know, that to me seems like kind of daunting, where like you'd read one and feel obligated to read the next one and the next one, which I kind of want to be the case, but I kind of want to spread them out a little bit. Um, I mean, to me, that sounds like a good idea. If anyone thinks that's incorrect or if I should just go right on to the next one, I have the idea already written up. It's just going to take writing it out, which isn't anything rocket scientifical. Well, then again, I mean, was, if, if, someone's already read, if someone's already read the first and second one, they're kind of going to be expecting the third one. Well, I've only written one so far. Well, then. And I, I like, I wrote one, I have the draft for the second, and I'm writing the third. 
Oh. But I'm just not, I don't know if I should post them in sequence. Anyway, um, the other thing that I was thinking about is possibly doing a deck tech, like writing a deck tech, um, for the net, for the deck we're going to talk about, or even maybe for my Rexiel deck, just because a lot of people have asked me about that. I think that's what I might do. Um, do a deck tech. I think that's just as good of an idea. I mean, people like to see how people build EDH decks. I mean, I could say we do it enough that we kind of know what we're doing. Um, we do it enough to the point where when we were making this deck we're going to talk about, I actually started cutting cycles because I was like, okay, this deck is just going to die in EDH. But yeah. yeah. Um, I think that would be a good challenge, though. Uh, speaking of cycles, we'll get there in a second. But there are a lot of cycles in Magic. Let's just say that. And having a deck completely composed of cycles is near impossible. Though, could be, could happen, and I would give mad props to anyone who did it, to be hard. But yeah, I think the next one I do might be a deck tech on Rexiel, or it's either going to be a deck tech on Rexiel or the second EDH primer, which is just going to go over deck construction. I could just merge them together, I guess. I, I think you should probably just do the... You should do the Rexiel and maybe deck construction at the same time. It'll help. That way you can have a desk, a, a deck in order to show how it works. I think that'd probably be the best way to do it, and I think that's what someone who's reading the article would like to see. Okay. Alrighty. Well, now onto the big main hunk of awesome that this episode is going to be about, which is... Tom, do you want to say the name of your new deck? Or no, I, no I'm, I'm, I'm good. You can totally... totally <laughs> get this one. You want me to do it? Oh, yeah. Alright. It's, it's a progenitus deck, and it's called You Spoke Too Soon. Now... Um, you'll you'll see why hopefully when we get into the cards in the deck, and it is cycle based. So, um, about three nights ago, I randomly text Trevor, and I'm like, "Hey, I think I might build that cycle deck that Kellen was talking about," and you were all like, "Well, okay." And so then I'm I literally like go through Gatherer for about an hour looking at all the sets trying to find cycles, and then I realized, you know, what one of the best deck construction resources there are in the entire world, Trevor. Um, I'm gonna say, uh, yeah, Magic Online. Magic Online, it's amazing. I was gonna say, I was gonna say China Buffet just because it rhymed, but that was totally obnoxious of me. No, but uh, Magic Online is actually great for building EDH decks. Uh, you basically just click off of the My Cards feature on the deck editor, and you get every single card in Magic Online at this entire moment, and it's a lot of them. So it lets you, it really helps you uh, build. Uh, sets, uh, sorry, build decks by set, or if you just want creatures, if you want a red creature with a threaten effect, you just type in threaten effect, and it's really awesome. I love how it works, and it really helped me build this deck in a nice amount of times, instead of spending four hours of my life, I only spent an hour, so. Do you want to talk about the cycles that are in the deck? Just go over them all, and then we'll talk about them in detail. Sure. So, the cycles we have are the Bringers, uh, from Mirrodin. We have the Volvers, ha ha ha, from, I have no idea what this is, look like Mercadian Mass or something. Uh, we have the Lorwyn Planeswalkers, the Commands, the Hondans, uh, the Legendary Dragons from Kamigawa. Minus one. And the Titans. And yeah, the Legendary Dragons minus one. You're not allowed to play Kakusho anymore, because it kind of broke the game. You also have Vivids in there. Oh, oh, no, 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 oh, you want to talk about the Land Cycles? We have sure. the Vivids, uh, we have um, all of the, uh, all? all. we have the cycle of Shocklands, we have the cycle of enemy colored fetches, and we have, we used to have, but we don't have any more, 
Oh, you know, yeah, we still have them. We have the Ally Colors um, filter lens for cycles. Also, we have the Ally Color signets. You only put the Ally ones in there? Yeah, putting in 10 signets into a deck makes you feel really stupid. Okay, why'd you put the Ally signets and the Ally filter lens, just out of curiosity? Um, it tended to be that the Ally com- Allied colors came up more than the enemy colors, if you can believe it. Well, I mean, that's kind of why they're allies, but it makes sense. Um, so, do you want to take the Volvers first? Talk about the Volvers and why you put them in there? Uh, sure. So, the Volvers are, I think, great cards. Um, I'm getting up the actual set they're from, but they were... Oh, that didn't help at all. Oh, sorry. So <laughs> they're uh, they're creatures that cost uh, between two and four in all five colors, and uh, they have a dual kicker ability. And each kicker ability has a uh, a really cool ability attached to it. So let's say the blue one. The blue one is for one and a blue. It's a one one, but it has a kicker of one and a red and or a single green. So if said evolver was kicked with its one and a red kicker, it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it, and it has first strike. If said evolver was kicked with its green kicker, it enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it and with trample. So with said evolver, you're able to get a four four first striker trample for five, which is actually really decent. Um, uh, the best evolver I think is an evolver. I think people have talked about this before. It's just awesome. So an evolver is the green evolver. It's also possibly the weirdest looking one. Besides, no, it's not. Which is really sad because it looks so. Odd. Um, an evolver is for three and a green. It's a three three. Kicker of one and a blue and slash or a black. If an evolver was kicked with this one and a blue kicker, it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it and with flying, so it's a five five flyer. And then if it's kicked with this black kicker, it you put a plus one plus one counter on it and it has the ability of pay three life, regenerate an evolver, which is also great. You end up with a 6-6 six, six flyer that has pay three life regenerate, and that is awesome. Awesome. I feel awesome. like, oh, not to interrupt, but I feel like the only problem with the Volvers, and I feel like it's kind of a mistake in Magic's past and not something that, I feel like it's something they have learned. Um, because they gain activated, or they gain keyword abilities depending on how you kick them, you have to remember which way they were kicked while they're in play. That's true. So, like, I mean, it's fine. I guess you could do it, but I feel like that's something they wouldn't do now. Or they, like, they didn't do it in Zen when they brought back Kicker or Multi Kicker. And I feel like it's because, oh, if you kick this with Red Mana, it gets First Strike, and it's not until on the turn, it's forever. So you have to remember that you kicked it with Red Mana. Mm-hmm. It's just a little. It's just a little. I don't know. It, it stood out to me. Is all. I don't know. I I, I think it's okay just because. It's either it gets two plus one plus one counters or one plus one plus one counter. So you can just kind of refer back to the card. If it only has one plus one plus one counter, then it only has the white ability. If it what has happens one, if it got a negative one, negative one counter? Well, then you're playing with Shadowmore and you're weird. But, um, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, it can get screwed up and then you have to remember and then you have to probably like write on the card or write on the card. So like, oh, it has first strike and trample. What happens if your opponent mind slavers you and play anyway? I'm kidding. That was a total joke. Um... <laughs> 
So are you going to go through the rest of the Volver cycle, or do you want me to talk about the Bringers? Um, the other Volvers, uh, the best one is the green one. Uh, the white one has the weirdest art by far. It's called Dagavolver. It's for one and a white. These are all rares, by the way. Uh, it's a 1-1. One, one. You can kick it for a red, and it enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it, and first strike. Or you can kick it for one and a black, and it enters the battlefield with two plus one, plus one counters on it, and pay three life, regenerate Dagavolver. So, for five mana, you get a 4-4 four, four first strikey guy with pay three life, regenerate. If you have all the Volvers out at the same time, they're really good. <laughs> Just saying. Alrighty, well, um, the next one we're going to talk, the next cycle we're going to talk about is the Bringer cycle. Bringers. They are from, they're from Mirrodin Block. They're from yeah. Fifth Dawn, not Mirrodin. Um, they all cost seven and two of their colors respectively, so the Bringer, the Black Dawn is seven and two black, Bringer, the Blue Dawn is seven and two blue, etc. Uh, I believe they're all five fives, am I right? Yes, they are. Yeah, they're all five fives. Um, they all can be casted for an alternate cost of Wooborg. So um, if you would like to taste the rainbow, feel free. Mm. And they all have Trample as well. So beyond all of that, they have um, an ability that triggers during your upkeep. The black one lets you... You can pay two life at the beginning of your upkeep. If you do, you search your library for a card and put it on top. So you um, tutor, which is pretty awesome. The blue one lets you draw two cards at the beginning of your upkeep. I think that's one of the best. I really like that. The yeah, green one gives you... Go ahead, sorry, Tom. Yeah, it's probably the best one out of them all. I mean, being able to draw three cards at the beginning of each turn is kind of unfair. Yeah. Um, the green one lets you put a 3-3 green beast into play. Man. The red one lets you a creature. Mm. And the white one returns an artifact from your graveyard to play. Now, I think the white one is probably the worst one in this deck because there aren't that many artifacts. I think the only one that's really going to be going to the graveyard is Door of Door to Nothingness. Yes, it will um, be. But it's still good, and I still think that if someone destroys our other artifacts that are in the deck, like even if they destroy a Signet, we can get it back with this guy. He's card advantage still. But, I mean, they all are. Um, I really like the Bringer Cycle. I think they're really good. The reason why we included these guys and not the Beacon Cycle, which is also from Mirrodin Block is because, personally, and I think Tom agrees with me here, the blue beacon makes me want to cry. Just, I mean, time stretch is bad, and I feel like blue beacon is up there, because you play it, and you take a turn, and you shuffle it into your deck. And then it's always just kind of sitting there, waiting to come back. Yeah. Um, the other ones are not bad, but I feel like we, we wanted to include full cycles. I mean, except the Kamigawa Dragons, because we couldn't have Kakusho. Yeah, it, um, it would definitely be in here if it could. Yeah, and that's the thing. We didn't want to, like, intentionally omit a card that's in a cycle if we didn't have to, and we would have omitted the blue the blue beacon because I don't care for it. I, I don't know if Tom does, but I don't think he does. I, I don't mind it, to be honest, only the beacon that... Some of the beacons just didn't really fit well in this deck. The green beacon, uh, you're playing, like, four forests in the whole entire deck, so that kind of sucks. Yeah, that's true. And then the white beacon, I've seen... Um, in the EDH League, if you give someone, like, over 20 life in a turn, you get a point. So some people people play that beacon just to get a random point. But if you're just playing in casual, it's kind of useless. Although I have seen someone play the beacon, go up to, like, 65, then draw it three turns later and just be out of reach. So it can be mm. randomly good. 
Yeah, I agree. I, and the other cycle, there was a cycle in Darksteel that we didn't even bring up before we started recording that I kind of just remembered. What about the pulses? I was thinking about the pulses. Uh, the good ones, the green one, and the green one. <laughs> it's kind of... It didn't... It's kind of like the beacons. Like, there's some cycles that are, like, really good in, like, two or three areas. But then in the other two, they're just horrible. Um, the the Avatar cycle is a good example of that. Like, Avatar of Woe is awesome. Mm-hmm. Avatar of... The White One's Hope, right? Yeah, White One is Hope. Yeah, Avatar of Hope makes me lose faith in the fact that White actually has good cards. But it's... Just, oh, God, no. And then, um, trust me, the blue Avatar is bad also. I, the, we just kind of fit the cycles that we thought. I think a good challenge for listeners or for people in general, anyone, if you'd like it to take up a challenge would be make a deck entirely of cycles. But competitive. Yeah, like a competitive cycle deck. Like, this deck has to beat at least two opponents in order to be competitive. Like, that was the main problem with building this deck, is that, yeah, it's re- it's kind of easy, to be honest, to make a deck of cycles. You just put a bunch of cycles in there, and you say, oh, done. Just gotta figure out the mana. But then, you look at it, and you go, this deck costs way too much, and it's not gonna do anything ever. Yeah. So... That was the main thing you had to work against. Sorry, I just thought of another cycle. Um, the seals. Seal of Doom, Seal of Fire, Seal of Primordium. There's a blue seal, apparently, and a black seal. I, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I know you're not talking about, like, seals. No, they, yeah. no like, <laughs> seals. Yeah, we're talking about seals. The deck is going to SeaWorld. I wonder how many seals there are in Magic. There's actually... Okay. Um, here's the thing, and I, I realized this when I was looking at it. There is one, two, three, four, five. There's five seals. There isn't a blue seal. That's why you can put it in. There's okay. a white seal, which is seal of cleansing, which is for one and a white. Sacrifice seal of cleansing, destroy target artifact or enchantment. Black seal, seal of doom, two and a black. Sack and destroy target non-black creature. Seal of fire, for red. Sack, shock something. Seal of primordium, which is exactly like seal of cleansing. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's no blue seal. There is Imperial Seal, though, which is for a black mana. Shuffle your library for... Search your library for a card, then shuffle and put that card on top of it. Lose two life. That's a good seal. I'll play that seal. <laughs> Tom, that one doesn't count. Yeah, but, uh... Yeah, I was definitely thinking about the the, set, the seal cycle, but they didn't make it a cycle. Yeah, I understand. All right, the next cycle that we can talk about, how about the, um... The Lorwyn Planeswalkers, or why this deck is running bad Jace. <laughs> yeah, uh, and why it's really a, running a Johnny Goldmain. At first, when I was building the deck, I was thinking, hey, I'll just get the five best Planeswalkers, and I'll just put them in Wooburg and put them in. And then I just like kind of felt wrong. <laughs> like, I, it was going to be Elspeth, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Soren. Nicolas. Well, I couldn't put in Polos. I had to put in Chandra Nalar, because she's, like, the only red one. And then Garrick. And those were going to be the Planeswalkers, and I'm looking at it, and I go, well, if it already has Chandra and Garrick, I kind of have to put the whole entire Lorwyn set in there. So I just went and put the Lorwyn set in there. And to be honest, it's not like they're bad. No, they're good. They're just not... I mean, not amazing, awesome, spectacular. <laughs> right. We understand that... Basically, what we're saying here, we're understanding we're playing, quote-unquote, subpar... Planeswalkers, but we're doing it for the sake of the cycle. Exactly. We're doing it for the sake of the deck, man. For its very soul and being. 
Okay, Tom, that was a bit creepy. If you're looking at the Holy Land experience, and in case anyone is curious, the Holy Land experience is a theme park between Orlando and Tampa that is religion-based. It is a, like, a Bible theme park. Just saying. Bible theme parks sound kind of fun. Alright, I'm not gonna have this discussion. It could be. I'm not gonna deny that. Anyway, um... You know, I was just thinking real quick, this card is not part of a cycle, but I thought about it because you have the Volvers and the Planeswalkers in this deck. Do you know what card would be awesome? Mm, yes, but I forget his name. Gilder Baron? Yes, but not that. The enchantment version of that. But everyone plays Doubling Season, Trevor. Doubling Season is the best card ever. Ah. <sighs> I want, I want to play Doubling Season and ready to replicate something with Kicker. And then Echo Mage it. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'll stop. Um, I'm going to talk about the Titan cycle because I love the Titans. Um, this deck runs all five Titans, even uh, Mr. Manhattan, the blue Titan, which, yes, he's getting the credit he deserves. He's still not my favorite. I'm not I'm not digging him very much, especially in EDH, but he's he's in there. Um, my favorite Titans personally are Sun Titan and Primeval Titan. Primeval oh. Titan in this deck seems like just a data fixing, really. I mean, we don't have any techie lands in here. There's no uh, Maze of Ith or anything like that because we can't really afford to cripple the mana base. It's actually uh, oddly good because you're playing Progenitus. Primeval Titan in this deck really, really helps. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is Mana Reflection in here? No. You fail miserably. Hey, we could have put all the reflections. Anyway, um, <laughs> my mind works like this sometimes. Um, as I was saying, I like Sun Titan a lot too because this deck can get back. You can get back Jace, which is kind of the um, poster child for cards that cost permanence that cost three or less to get back. But you can also get back Ewit, which is perfect. Yes, and you can get back any of the fetch lands. All of which are great things to get back. I've d I know I've done that in the Oros deck where I just keep returning Fetchlands to keep my mana going. Oh, that sounds fun. You can also get back all of the Volvers except for an Evolver. So, it, so if you have Sun Titan in hand, you can just play out a bunch of really like cute little blockers, and they're like, "Oh, why didn't you kick it?" And you go, "Oh, you'll see in four turns." <laughs> um, but yeah, the Black Titan, Grave Titan, kind of just making dudes being being undead and whatnot, and the um the Red Titan is Inferno Titan. He, yeah, he has no big, flashy combo in this deck. Like, I know he's really, really awesome with Basilisk Collar, just saying. Oh, yeah. Um, or, or Blight Sickle. But in this deck, he's just there to be part of the cycle. I still think he's really good. The <laughs> blue <laughs> talking to his father about um, JPEG. Yep. Which are picture files. Or he's talking to himself about them. That'd be creepy. Um, yeah. The next cycle that Tom has on here is the... Oh, the Hondans, which I did not write down, but Tom said. So, um, the Honden cycle is the cycle... It's from Kamigawa, and I know Tom has it in, probably has it in here because he lost to it when he played against Kevin. I'm just looking for all of the... You know, if you Google Honden, you do not get magic cards. <laughs> I'm sure you don't. The Hondans are great. Okay, um, now that you're back, you can talk to us about what the Hondans do. Okay, so the Hondans are from Kamigawa Block. Uh, basically, the best one that's actually been played 
is Honden of the Seeing Winds for four and a blue. And this is how they all basically read. At the beginning of your upkeep, you do something for each shrine you control. So each Honden is a legendary enchantment shrine. So for the blue one, it's at the beginning of your upkeep, draw a card for each shrine you control. And for the Honden of Cleansing Fire, at the beginning of your upkeep, you gain two life for each shrine you control. And the black one, target player, discards a card for each shrine you control. The red one, uh, deal damage, target creature, player for each shrine you control. And the green one is you put a 1-1 spirit into play for each shrine you control. So if you get two of these out, they're good. If you get one of them out, they're kind of meh. If you get three of them out, they become awesome. And if you get all five out, they're ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think if you get all five out, then you deserve to win. I'm just saying. Yep. Well, that's why you're playing Conflux. <laughs> for the longest time I was like I want to play Conflux but I don't know what I'm getting in the deck and then I'm like oh well I can get all the Titans then I'm like oh I can get all the Shrines then I'm like I can get all the Commands I can get all the Planeswalkers <laughs> I can get all the Bringers it's just like I love Conflux <laughs> the the card not the set the set was kind of for me yeah, don't hate on the set it gave us Progenitus right? and <laughs> yeah and Conflux I mean come on all Conflux right. and Conflux oh. hell yeah the next cycle I'll talk about is the commands. I personally like um, prime, not prim- primal command. I was gonna say primeval command, but that's not. I like prim- primal command and cryptic command the most. Um, incendiary command I've played with, but I always feel like no matter what I'm picking, either people dislike me or I dislike myself. <laughs> like I don't want to discard my hand. I don't want to destroy your land. I'm really confused, and I feel like Doctor Seuss because that rhymed. Anyway, um. Austere Command is also really awesome. I have a good kind of a side note story about that when we were at um, the 5K. We were playing... Tom was actually interviewing Trick Garrett of Mana Nation at the time. But I was playing in a game, in an EDH game, and someone had infinite... They won with Helix Pinnacle if they made it to their next turn. I played... I drew a card for my turn, played Enigma Sphinx, and cascaded into Austere Command. It was... Epic. The whole table kind of erupted, and you can hear on my interview, I'm like, something just happened. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's... I really, really like the command cycle. The choose two thing is pretty nifty. Awesome. Um, just remember, if someone or yourself copies them, they, they get the same modes you did. Do. Yeah, so if you play Cryptic Command and someone decides to twin catch a Cryptic Command and you picked, like, Bounce draw a card. They can't pick counter bounce. So, right. Um, would you like to talk about the? I think there's the dragons from dragons. Here we go. All right. So the dragons are cool. Uh, there's actually a lock, not in the deck, but you can do a lock with Yossi the Morning Star. Uh, but the dragons, they're all legendary dragons that came from Kamigawa Cycle. There was one called Kakusho the Evening Star. They're all kind of stars. Um, he was the best. <laughs> And he was banned in EDH because people just kept on playing like Recurring Nightmare with him. And they'd sack him to like Recurring Nightmare to get something else out. Then they'd play Recurring Nightmare, then sack it to get back out Kakusho. And what Kakusho did was when it comes into play, each player loses five life and you gain life for each player who lost life this way. And it's just ridiculous. So they took it out. So instead you have stuff like Yossi the Morning Star, which is still good. It's flying when Yossi the Morning Star is put into a graveyard from the battlefield. Target player skips his or her next untapped phase. Untapped step. Untapped step. 
tap up the five target permanent that player controls. So it's really good if someone's like all outing you and you still, especially like in the end game when you're like it's one on one, Yossi can just like break stalemates by himself. You just like put him on your side of the field, and then the the person doesn't want to attack into him, and then you swing at them for five in the air and you kill it somehow and you just laugh. So then there's Kaiga. You can talk about Kaiga if you want. Um, Kaiga, they'll four in a blue, right? Uh, five in a blue. Okay, five in a blue. Sorry, I don't have it open right now. Um, Kaiga is again five five legendary five five four four. Five five. Okay, good. I'm right. I'm sorry. Five five legendary dragon Kamigawa flying. When it leaves play, you gain control of target creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are wars over this card, like getting gaining control of it, getting it back from the graveyard, makeshift mannequining it, and then targeting it with I don't know cunning spark mage to kill it, so you can use. It. Oh my god, it is ridiculous. Yeah, Kaiga is kind of unnecessarily great in EDH. I mean, it's just because you get to control it, and the only way the person can get it back is by killing it, so. What's, um, what is the, the green one do? Jugen the Rising Star? I think, right? Jugen the Rising Star. Yeah, that's right. It's for three... I'm sorry. (laughs) I feel like he should be playing a sport. Yeah. Three green, green, green. (laughs) It's a flyer, 5-5. When Jugen the Rising Star is put into a graveyard from the battlefield... You may distribute five plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures. Wow, he'd be good in a Mummy or Big deck. Or no, sorry, um, Experimental Crash deck. Yes, he would. I had never... Good job, Trevor. You know what else he's good with? Doubling season? Yes, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, imagine playing Jugen, then copying Jugen, then getting extra copies of Jugen, and then killing him. Okay, I'm sorry, I cannot... And then Maelstrom Pulsing him. I cannot take you seriously when you say Jugen. It sounds like you're you're in Street Fighter and you're, you're like you're struggling or stuttering and you're about to say Hadouken. Like imagine playing Jugen. <laughs> sounds really odd. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't have a speech impediment, Trevor. Um, the last the last one that we haven't talked about yet was the the red one. Red one. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Yep. No. You see yet. the falling star for five and a red. It's a five five flyer. When he enters the graveyard. When he goes to the graveyard, sorry. Enters the graveyard. Oh, hi. Mm-hmm. Come on in. It deals five damage each creature without flying. Whoa. I like him. Very yeah. good. He's good. He, he's good with Titans out. Like, like the same reason Destructive Forces, because the Titans don't die. Exactly. Hmm. Two thumbs up. All right, so those are kind of the cycles. Uh... Creature-wise, the main cycles that you're going to be playing with when you play the deck. Then there's random green, like, support cards so that you don't screw yourself over. Uh, You have Tooth and Nail in the deck just because Tooth and Nail is great. Um, It helps you, like, get out two Titans or two Bringers. Or two Titans or two Bringers, and that's just good. (laughs) Uh, There's also All Sun's Dawn, which I've always thought was an all-star in five-color decks. Uh, For four and a green... For each color, return up to one card of the target color to your hand, then from from your graveyard to your hand, then exile All Suns Dawn. So if you play it right, for four and a green, you can get five cards back to your hand, mm-hmm. which is fantabulous. Then, of course, there's Ewit, which I put in not just because it combos with Sun Titan, but because it's just good all around. Um, you have Prismatic Omen, which I've always loved. Uh, the other way to go with this deck is to make it kind of domainy and Prismatic Omen for one and a green. Land you control or every basic land type in addition to their other types, which also means that land you control tap for any color you want. 
Yeah. Which is good. Which is the other reason why Joiner Adept is in there. Do you know what Joiner Adept does, Trev? Actually, I do, because I played when it first came out in 5th on. It's mm-hmm. one and a green for a 2-1 elf something. All lands you have have tapped to add one, any, one of mana of any color to your mana pool. Totally correct. It also has really not that decent art. Um... BOP is in there because it's BOP. Then Shard Convergence. Uh, this is another card from Conflux, right? Conflux. Our yeah. deck is Confluxed out, man. So for three and a green, search your library for a Plains card, an Island card, a Swamp card, a Forest card, and a Mountain card, and put them into your hand. It says Forest on there, too. I thought it did. Does it not? I thought it was, I thought it was missing one. Oh, yeah, you're right. There is no Forest card. My bad. But the thing is, it's good with the Shockland, because it doesn't say basic, does it? Exactly, it doesn't say basic, so you get to get four mana of basically any color you want into your hand. Um, it all, the, um, another, like, two other really great cards in this deck are Maelstrom Nexus. Hell yeah, Maelstrom Nexus. Because, yeah, um, cascading is fun. So what Maelstrom Nexus is, it's it's for Wooburg, so white, blue, black, red, green. Uh, it's an enchantment. The first spell you cast each turn has Cascade. So you basically go, I play Primeval Titan. It cascades into Honden of the Seeing Winds. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. So then I, I we get to play one of my favorite cards ever, Door to Nothingness. You you know what the door does, right? Yes. I don't remember how much mana it costs. Okay. But I know it's in the play tapped, and its ability is Progenitus Mana. Sack it, target player loses the game. Yep, so for five colorless mana, enters the battlefield tapped. Then for white, white, blue, blue, black, black, red, red, green, green, tap, sacrifice, door to nothingness, target player loses the game. I feel like you're going to summon Captain Planet when you say <laughs> the colors of magic. Like, white, blue, green, black, red. Like, I feel like Captain Planet is going to come. power combined, Captain Planet. Yeah, I honestly feel like I'm terrible for polluting. I don't understand. <laughs> All right. Then um, you also have... Uh, Baby, also known affectionately as Child of Alara. Um, this is another guy for Wooberg from Conflux. <laughs> Trampling 6-6 six, six, when Baby is put into a graveyard from play. Uh, destroy all non-land permanents. They can't be regenerated. Yeah, the reason Baby isn't the general is because this deck does not have enough sec outlets. And remember, when your general dies, they don't go to the graveyard. They go to the general zone, the command zone, as their replacement effect. So, I mean, Baby can be a really good general, but it, it has to be in the right deck. Yeah, you have to have a lot of recursion. So, um, Also, the the other card that I was thinking of when I mentioned two, the second one was also, or no, uh, Fist of the Suns. Fist of the Suns is great. I mean, I think it is kind of um, a bit mean, unintuitive, let's put it that way, to play uh, Progenitus for five mana. <laughs> But it's, it's it's basically like saying, "Hey guys, I'm playing Fist of the Suns." Okay, wait, who's your general again? Progenitus. So on turn five, you're playing a ten ten protection from everything. Yeah, pretty much. It's like a way to win there. That makes me upset. Like I, that's that's one thing that I dislike. But I mean, well, maybe. actually, the most broken set of plays in this deck is turn three Fist of Suns, turn four Rafika the Many, turn five Progenitus, turn six Kill Someone. <laughs> I'm sure there's bet. Oh, you know what else we could have put in? Sorry, I keep remembering cycles. Um, the incarnations, like vigor, brawn, wonder, glory. 
Oh, the guys with the mountains and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I For a second there, I thought you were talking about, like, guile, no, um, that's hostility, vigor, purity, that's and dread, which almost made the deck. Yeah, those are hard to play, though, because they're casting costs. The other ones, the um, incarnations that I was talking about, the, like, Wonder gets flying if you control an island and it's in your graveyard. Valor gives everything first strike. Glory gives everything protection. Yeah, they're good. The thing is, like, Genesis does it too, but the actual card that's green that's in that cycle is broad. Mm hmm. Yeah, Anger. Anger gives haste. Um, but yeah, though, so that's just another cycle. Like I said, if anyone can take this deck and make it, like, fully cycle, like, completely trick it out, uh, I think that'd be really awesome. This is kind of just our version of it, but we kind of lean towards... We're not Vorthosy enough to build an entirely flavor-based deck. Like, trust me, I really, really, really tried, and it just... I couldn't bring myself to do it. <laughs> but yeah, um, other than that, I really have not... I don't have much more to say about the Pretendus deck. If anybody has any questions or any tips or wants and just wants to contact us... Feel free. Our email is mtgradio at mtgcast.com, and I think Tom usually doesn't know where to follow us on Twitter and YouTube. Okay, so YouTube, we are the MTG Radio. Uh, there will be a deck tech about this deck on the MTG Radio on YouTube using Magic Online and Camtasia, and it should be pretty sweet because I'll just be talking over it the whole entire time. You get to hear my voice. Aww. And then um, you can Twitter us. At uh, MTG Radio, right? So yeah. Twitter dash MTG Radio. It's Twitter. It's www.twitter.com backslash MTG Radio. Or that way. Um, you can also check out sixtycards.com. I'm full of shameless plugs. I really like Smitty's site. It's pretty awesome, and I write for it. So, epic win. Who has two thumbs and likes that? Me. I was pointing at myself. Anyway, um, <laughs> and now for something completely different. <laughs> So I think I'm pretty much done. I wrapped up my need for um, talking this week. Uh, next week I'll definitely have some actual gameplay to talk about because we are going to Wednesday Night Magic. And I'll try to talk more. Yeah. You should do that, Patrick. I mean, Sally. <laughs> um, but yeah, is there any closing thoughts? I think we should make this like Jerry Springer. What's your final thoughts? Uh, my final thought, let me grab my microphone. Um, my final thought is that although Sally is a 20 or... Are you 21 yet, Pat? Not yet. December. Is a 20-year-old, blonde, very hairy man. I think he makes a very good co-host. And I'm patting him on his head, even though he can't feel it. Yeah. He's only... Pat, you realize you're only getting away with that because you're not actually here. Yep. <laughs> Alrighty, well, for episode 38 of MTG Radio, this has been Trevor. And Tom. And Sally. And thanks for tuning in.